Informing America's farmers and ranchers. This is AOA, produced by the American Ag Radio Network. Now, here's your host, Jesse Allen. And thank you for joining us here today on Agriculture of America AOA. Great to have you here with us. I'm your host, Jesse Allen. Today's program brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel, fueled by innovation, powered to perform. Find your nearest Cenex location online very easily, Cenex.com. Everyday products powered locally. That's Cenex. Coming up here on today's show, we are going to have a conversation with Jeff Cooper with the Renewable Fuels Association in segment three. We'll also catch up with the Livestock Marketing Association. Mike Van Monen will join us, their vice president, in segment two today. And we'll get a harvest update on our harvest tour around the country coming up here in segment four with Stephen Heitschu from Agrigold. He's in southern Indiana, so we'll talk with him coming up here at the end of the show today. First up, though, let's uh, take a look at what's going on in the market trade. Joining us now with agmarket.net, Tyler Shaw, based up in North Dakota. Tyler, thanks for being on AOA with us today. I hope you're doing well. Yeah, it's a beautiful day up here, so good day to, to try to get some, some harvesting done in North Dakota. I was going to say, how is that harvest progress going across North Dakota? What are you seeing and hearing from folks? I have to think maybe just uh, just getting some things rolling uh, on corn and beans. Spring wheat, I believe, has been uh, mostly done for a little while now, right, Tyler? Yeah, your small grains, they're pretty well wrapped up with uh, a lot of guys rolling on soybeans here this week. We did have a little bit of a rain shower early in the week that uh, kind of slowed some people down. A few areas got some storms last night. Uh, not a lot of corn being harvested yet, just maybe some, some really early planted stuff, but, uh, guys mm-hmm. are definitely busy. So, well, let's, uh, let's talk about how, uh, the markets are trading right now. And uh, this week has been uh, quite an interesting one. Wheat markets too. It feels like we're maybe consolidating a little bit higher here while we continue to see some seasonal weakness in corn and soybeans as that harvest pressure comes in. Uh, what's your take of what we're seeing in this grain trade overall this week. You know, we had a, a pretty good discussion uh, this morning on a, on a conference call with uh, Ag Market and JSA employees and, and really the, the, the overwhelming um, opinion is just kind of to expect this market to churn back and forth. There really isn't enough to, to stomp on it and push it much lower. Uh, but there really isn't anything out there that's going to just make this thing fire higher. So our expectation is just kind of kind of just trade um, within some of these ranges that have been established really for the last 45 days and in, in corn, especially, um, you know, we did have the sell off in wheat uh, uh, the last few days and then we had the sell off in soybeans here over the last month. Uh, but it just like I said, there, there's just not a lot of news to, to really drive it either way at this moment. So. How about crude oil? Uh, the last 48 hours or so, crude has just taken a tumble. We're down about another uh, 1% or so on Thursday. What is going on in crude? Is it demand concerns? Is it something else? What's what's driving the big turnaround here? Yeah, gasoline demand on uh, the EIA report the other day, that got cut uh, considerably, and that that spooked the market. You could point to a lot of different things. Um, you know, jokingly, it's I've I've read it. I actually made the comment 
uh, you had some pretty heavy hitters come out just a few weeks ago and said, expect $120 a barrel oil. And the joke was, well, mm-hmm. that's a sign that the top in oil is in place and it's time to get short oil. Uh, that does seem to happen quite often when, <laughs> when large uh, economic uh, firms or financial firms start throwing out you know, grandiose numbers that maybe it's time that the tide has changed. There's been a few things internationally with Saudi Arabia as well. Uh, but it's just kind of, you know, it's just an overall bearish tone of the market. And I think it's really fueled by just macro concerns. Um, you know, the stock market uh, has, has taken a tumble. If you look at any of the equity futures, they've all just been beaten up pretty heavily the last few weeks. And so it's just got the the market on edge. You know, that the, the goal of the fund manager is to use futures and, and commodities to, to make mm-hmm. money. And so they're going to they're going to take gains when they've got them. Well, and the dollar too is trading up here near one oh seven. I'll, I'll throw that in with what you were talking about. And, you know, I, I think about crude typically is supportive to grains and oil seeds, but you know, even with crude taking a big drop here, uh, I think circling back to what you mentioned earlier, you know, grains are, are holding holding in here pretty well, just kind of chopping around, even despite some of these big swings in in grain in crude oil or the dollar right now, Tyler. Yeah, and and you know. One of the things that this is just a thought I've had is a lot of these markets have seemed to have become disjointed, uh, especially over the last few months. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, a lot of markets that we would normally say were, you know, very correlated uh, have become less so. Um, just, and, and I think that again, it just goes back to you, you've got to pay attention to the overall economy. Yeah. Um, you know, the markets. It, sometimes we're always looking for a reason for uh you know corn movement or or movement and price on corn beans wheat you name it uh and, and your point got brought up this morning uh in a conversation you know why with crude being down it sure seems like corn ought to be down as well well uh the the counter argument to that is with crude being up for the last two months why wasn't corn up considerably uh as a result so you know sometimes we try to look at previous uh, correlations and expect them to continue on. And, you know, we're just in a, a market that's trading a lot different than we've seen over the last several years. And it makes it for a tougher environment to to trade. It makes for a tougher environment to hedge. Definitely does. Uh, I want to ask you livestock real quick here before we run out of time in this segment. Cattle, it's been a, a rough week in the cattle trade. Um, what are your thoughts with just how this cattle market is acting right now? Uh, it's definitely concerning. I think it's mostly, again, goes back to the overall economic picture uh, and, and fears of a macroeconomic event. And we've been saying for a long time that the you know, fundamentals in cattle are strong, uh, you know, low cattle numbers, and that's not going to change anytime soon. The real question is how is demand going to hold up? And that's a function of the overall economy. And so I think as you saw those economic worries build up uh, over the last few weeks, it finally just popped, you know, pushed the pin in the balloon on the cattle market. You see feeders down uh, 18 bucks over the last two weeks uh, in, in November feeders. Uh, hovering right around 250, seem to be at some pretty good support levels here. And the other one I watch with the feeder cattle is the feeder calf index. And for the first time in a mm-hmm. long time, the index is actually above the futures price. Weekly export sales as well uh, for grains or livestock. It looked like quarter beans were near the high end of expectations Thursday morning. Anything of note you saw in the export sales? You know, the corn was uh, the, you know, I'd, I'd 
take that with a grain of salt. A lot of that was that big daily flash sale from Mexico that occurred last week. Okay. Um, and right now sales to Mexico are very front end loaded. And without those, uh, our book of, of export sales would look really, really poor. Um, so, you know, they, they do look okay right now, but like I said, the Mexican, uh, purchases have been a little earlier and heavier than maybe in years past. Uh, so who knows, maybe that's a sign that, uh, demand is going to pick up and they thought they were getting it cheap. And, uh, maybe it's a sign that they're just coming in and buying it and we're going to run out of buyers here for too long. Well, we appreciate the analysis. Tyler Shaw, agmarket.net. Thanks for joining us on AOA today. We'll talk to you again soon. You bet. Take care, Jesse. All right. Coming up next, we're going to have a conversation with Mike Van Monen, Vice President of the Livestock Marketing Association here on AOA, brought to you by Cenex, Maxtron Synthetic Diesel Engine Oil, everyday products powered locally. That's Cenex. Back with more right after this. Spot less. Introducing the cleanup for tar spot, gray leaf spot, southern rust, and more. Novel next generation at Astrio fungicide. Broadens your spectrum and strengthens your residual when it comes to foliar disease control in corn. Visit your FMC retailer or at astrio.ag.fmc.com to clean up this season. Follow 2WE for tar spot management in corn. Valid until 131.28. Always read and follow all label directions. Challenge. It's not something you shy from. It's a chance to up your game. Every day brings a new challenge, but with the Enhanced Channel Seed brand on your side, you can rise to it. With our top-performing seed, innovative digital tools, and expanded agronomic support, you can turn tomorrow's challenges into your next advantage. Your Enhanced Channel Seed brand. Let's rise to the challenge. Learn more at channel.com rise. Read and follow pesticide label directions, IRM, grain marketing, and other stewardship practices. In today's troubled world, our USA Armed Forces stand ready to protect you, your family, and our American way of life. When veterans return to civilian life, they deserve your recognition and support. You can help put vets to work by donating your car, truck, or van to Patriotic Hearts. Your donation will directly support programs to help vets find jobs or even start their own business. Donate today for fast, free pickup of your vehicle, running or not. Operators are standing by to answer questions about making a tax-deductible vehicle donation. Find out how you can make a difference in the life of a United States veteran. Call 800-209-6416 for 24-hour response. Call 800-209-6416. 800-209-6416. That's 800-209-6416. Nothing offers an opportunity to bond and give thanks quite like breaking bread together. This is especially true as we welcome our troops back home and keep those who are still stationed overseas in our hearts. Hi, I'm Gary Sinise. Since 2011, the Gary Sinise Foundation's Serving Heroes program has shown gratitude to our nation's defenders and their families by serving up nearly 500,000 hearty classic American meals at travel hubs and military locations. And now, together with our friends at Bob Evans Farms and their Our Farm Salutes program, we will help to provide even more meals nationwide, offering our defenders a taste of home and a feeling of togetherness around the table. Help us show America's gratitude through food and fellowship. Look for the Bob Evans Our Farm Salutes purple packaging at your grocery store and visit ourfarmsalutes.com 
to learn more. While we can never do enough to support the men and women who serve, together we can make a difference, bite by bite. Keeping America's farmers and ranchers informed, AOA. Now back to Jesse Allen. And thank you for joining us here today on Agriculture of America AOA, brought to you by our friends at Cenex, Cenex Premium Diesel and Cenex Roadmaster XL, everyday products powered locally, that's Cenex. Right now, we want to talk with the Livestock Marketing Association. Joining us, their vice president, Mike Van Monnen, is with us. Mike, thanks for joining us here on AOA today. I hope you're doing well. Yeah, thanks for having me, uh, Jesse. I'm uh, excited about uh, having a conversation with you. Well, Mike, let's uh, let's start that conversation just in general, uh, talking about the recent LMA fly-in. I know that happened just a few weeks ago in Washington, D.C., and uh, get us up to speed on what exactly you guys were talking about with uh, legislators and uh, members of Congress. Yeah, the, the LMA fly-in has been a great event. Uh, it um, gives our membership an opportunity to uh, go to Washington, D.C. and uh, to talk about issues that they are having in the marketing, uh, marketing business along with the cattle production business. And um, it's all set up by our staff and they make the contacts and it's a great way for members then to go up and, and go around and see their Congress people and get to meet with USDA and several, several other uh, key meetings. Uh, you know, some of the issues that uh, or topics that we was uh, taken with us this time was, um, you know, the, the A-plus uh, act which is the, the House version. Um, the Senate has their own version. It's the Amplified Processing Livestock in America. Um, basically, uh, we are governed by a law, the, the Packers and Stalkers Act, that mm-hmm. is 102 years old. And uh, in that law, it, it uh, does not allow for anybody that is invested and owns a livestock market to also participate in the packing industry. Mm-hmm. And, um, and you know, through the Black Swan events and COVID, we've all seen, you know, what happens when our, when our packing capacity starts to shut down or feel the effects of that. We just don't have enough shackle space. And um, we have we have members that uh, want to invest in local packing facilities or even some regional sized uh, packing facilities. And uh, we are just up there asking to get that law altered so that uh, enables us to participate in uh, different government programs and grants that they're out that they're passing money out so that we can be involved in the packing industry also. Well, and to your point on that, I know one piece of that, but just in general, an update to the Packers and Stockyards Act. I mean, you know, we think about how many years old that legislation is and and just kind of, you know, I think with a lot of things going on right now with agricultural legislation, Farm Bill 2, I mean, getting things updated for where things stand in 2023, I think that's important right now. Well, well, it is. And, uh, you know, the the law is, is a good law in, in areas, but like you say, it just needs to be updated into modern day business practices. And um, and that was one of the asks we had, um, you know, another another ask that also involves a, a tweak to the Packers and Stock uh, Stockyards Act is it deals with with prompt payment. That if um, if you're a registered uh, dealer, packer, or livestock market, you know, with the packers and stockers, we all we all have to abide by their prompt payment law, and uh, that is initiating payment within 24 hours of the purchase price, and that can be you know ACH, you know, it can be a wire transfer, it can be a check in the mail, but those all have to be initiated in the first 24 hours after after the price discovery. 
And in today's mail system, um, you know, Congress has said that uh, you know mail service might slow down instead of getting any better. That uh, the the flow to that money has become such an issue for some of our markets that uh, we went up with an ask to uh, allow prop payment to uh, be for an ACH to be initiated on the second day and a wire transfer to be initiated on the third day um, to give backers dealers um, some extra time to get cattle where they need to get get uh, you know get get their their initiation for those payments done in the first uh, you know with not the 24 hours but a 48 and a 72 hour time period and so that was another ask that we went up and uh, asked uh, Congress to do that we'll take we'll take a little bit of um, you know them to change the law in the in the Packers and Stockyards Act. Mike, I, I should ask as well. I'm, I'm sure Farm Bill was a, a just a, a big topic of discussion in general. Um, we know a lot of uh, fighting going on in D.C. right now and, and more, but during the fly-in, what were some of the conversations uh, that, that LMA maybe had surrounding just the overall aspects of a, a Farm Bill and getting something done here by the end of the year? Yeah, you, you know, some of the, these were, our, you know, two of our asks that we had, um, you know, we, we go up there, we're not with the attitude of telling, telling Washington how to uh, enact these, these changes in the law, but uh, we leave that up to them. But, um, you know, if they could get put in the farm bill, um, you know, that would be fine with us. And, um, you know, if they're a standalone bill, then that's fine also. But uh, um, if they could be part of, part of the farm bill, we would like to see it as part of the farm bill package and, um, and would think that would be very positive. We're talking with Mike Van Monnen, who is the vice president for the Livestock Marketing Association, joining us here today. Uh, Mike, let's talk about producer profitability. I know LMA, you guys have a, a great initiative going on uh, surrounding this right now and talking with folks and really just kind of initiating the, the conversation, so to speak, because, man, you, you take a look at the uh, the profitability and the, the markets here recently, and there's just a, there's a lot of excitement, I think, going on in the cattle industry, but in turn also, you know, uh, a lot of folks just trying to have a conversation <laughs> to make sure we're all united and on the same page, right, Mike? Well, I agree. It might it might seem like an odd time to roll out a profitability piece when um, the cattle market, uh, you know, is so good. But uh, you know, we all we all remember back what happened in 2014 when we saw these prices. That uh, within a year's time, the market had done pretty much cut itself in half. And through different events, uh, you know, the the cow calf producer, the backgrounder, and places the cattle feeders just been struggling you know, for the eight, nine past uh, years. And um, we're just wanting to start a conversation of, uh, of keeping the next generation, um, you know, making it so that they can participate in a, in, a, in a business that we all have enjoyed for the last, you know, 100 plus years. And uh, it seems like it's become difficult to get the younger generation involved. And that's where we're wanting to bring up the profitability piece and, and make it more sustainable. Well, and I think too, I've used this term before, uh, having a good, good old fashioned Midwest conversation and, and, and talking with folks and, and understanding concerns and, or, you know, pros that they have, et cetera. I think that's what it all kind of comes back to as well, Mike, uh, when you talk about producer profitability is just having that good old fashioned conversation and, and talking about things. Well, it does. Um, you know, um, we do, we are in a time period of, of record high prices, but, uh, you know, our input costs are record high prices, you know, yeah. our interests have gone, are gone back up. So the, you know, the end result maybe isn't as good as what some people, you know, might think it is for these producers. 
And, um, you know, LMA, we, we've discussed over the last several years how, how, uh, how we see, you know, every year we have more dispersal sales than we have in the past, uh, that people are, are just getting out, uh, and, and not, uh, re, you know, not using their land for animal beef production like they used to. And so that has created a conversation for us that, uh, you know, without, without producers out there, you know, it makes it hard for the livestock marketing businesses and our businesses to be successful. And um, we are not a producer organization, and we know that, but uh, we are the first line of contact with these producers a lot of times when they come to our markets. And we just thought it was a great time to start, start the conversation. We're talking with Mike Van Monnen, who is the uh, vice president for the Livestock Marketing Association. Mike, uh, before we let you go, any final thoughts you would share uh, about things that uh, LMA is working on right now, things you're seeing in the cattle industry? I'm sure there's a lot of discussion around traceability and things like that. Uh, any, anything else you would care to uh, comment on here today? Wait, yeah, one more thing. I'm glad you did bring up traceability. You know, USDA is under uh, uh, rulemaking for phase one animals that do have to be identified and, uh, and, and uh, ear tagged. And we are going from a system where, you know, we use metal bright tags that would cost nine or 10 cents to produce to uh, the government wants us to use electronic ear tags that um, are going to be, you know, in the two to 250 range. And um, we, we also went to Washington and asked that that be a cost that if USDA wants to have a traceability program, that they also fund the cost for those ear tags and the implementation of it. And there's not an expense that is passed on down to the producers. And I think and, that's, um, yeah, uh, sorry, I didn't mean to stop you there, but I think that's going to be a, a very big thing because on top of what you mentioned earlier, high input prices and more right now, uh, throwing on an extra cost like that is, is something that uh, I think need to have a conversation about. Well, that, and I agree hundred uh, percent, you know, estimates are, are saying that's going to be a 29 to $30 million expense just for the cost of the ear tags. Um, you know, and that doesn't count the infrastructure for tagging sites that whatever they have to make improvements to get those animals tagged correctly and properly. And uh, so anyway, that was another conversation we had with Congress people while we was up there about our concerns. Uh, we're not, we're not opposed to doing it, but we just want the, the expense to be picked up by the, by the government and not the producer. Fantastic. Well, we appreciate the thoughts. LMA Vice President joining us here today, Mike Van Monnen of Missouri. Mike, thanks for being with us on AOA, and we'll look forward to having a conversation again in the future. Well, thanks for giving us this opportunity, Jesse. Thank you a lot. And once again, Mike Van Monnen, Vice President of the Livestock Marketing Association. All right, coming up next, we're going to be joined by Jeff Cooper, President and CEO of the Renewable Fuels Association. That's on the way after the break here on AOA, Agriculture of America, brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel, a more complete additive package for a more complete burn. Back with more right after this. When people look at your farm, they just see corn. But to you, it's a lot more than that. It's a college fund your retirement plan. And it deserves trait protection that can stand up to heavy pressure threats like corn woodworm. SmartStacks Pro with RNAi technology is trusted on over 1 million acres to protect the things that mean more. Trade up at SmartStacksPro.com. Always read and follow pesticide label directions, IRM, where applicable, grain marketing, and all other stewardship practices. Copyright 2023 Bayer Group. All rights reserved. The landscape of media has changed and people are more skeptical than ever about where they get their news and information. While major news outlets show decreasing credibility, your local farm radio station still shows strong marks. 
In a recent survey, farmers rated information from their farm broadcasters as almost twice as reliable as major news outlets. Farm Radio continues to be transparent, honest, and trustworthy. This message brought to you by the National Association of Farm Broadcasting. You're listening to AOA for the American Ag Network. I'm Richard Risvet with this market update. The grains are mixed this morning. Corn and wheat is firm. Beans are soft. Livestock is also mixed with fats and feeders lower. Hogs are higher. Now, seasonal weakness is again the theme in the corn and soybean markets this morning. While wheat continues to consolidate near recent multi-year lows, corn and soybean yields are currently coming in better than expected a month ago, leading to ideas that this year's crops may be a bit larger than first thought. Now, we still could see problems emerge with later maturing crops, but the trade is growing more comfortable that the supply will be large enough to handle this year's weaker demand. USDA should provide greater insight next week when it updates its balance sheets, but the bulls lack a story currently weekly export sales for corn and beans were much better in this morning's USDA data dump, but we do need to see this sustained for an extended period of time to raise hopes of a better demand picture. Now, next week's USDA report should provide a lot of answers about the size of this year's crops. Meanwhile, chances of rain in dry areas of Brazil's center-west area are improving for the days ahead, which should encourage a pickup in the planting pace if those forecasts come to fruition. Wheat is also getting some extra support today with more news out of the Black Sea region. Russia hit Ukraine Black Sea ports of Odessa and Mykolaiv again. Russia has moved a fleet of Navy vessels from one of their ports following a recent Ukraine strike targeting Crimea. UK intelligence has also warned that Russia may be planting mines with intentions of targeting civilian vessels. Black Sea wheat offers have fallen $15 per metric ton in the past week for 11.5 protein wheat. Ukraine does continue to try and ship its exports through its own corridor. 10 vessels have left the port and another 12 ships are on the way in to load. While crude oil prices have pared back some of their losses seen earlier this morning, however, they are still lower in some follow-through liquidation. You're listening to AOA for the American Ag Network. I'm Richard Ristvet. Take a look under your bed. Find stuff under there? What about jobs? No? Now try your basement. There's a pair of overalls that overall you're not so into anymore. A perfectly good laptop that hasn't sat in your lap in months. And even more stuff, but still no jobs? Well, you really have both. See, stuff is defined as household articles considered as a group. Sometimes this stuff is no longer needed. Wait, no longer needed? That can't be right. Because remember those jobs you were looking for? Those are really needed, and they're the stuff inside your stuff. Even inside that winter coat that moved with you to Phoenix. Our job is to unlock those jobs, and it starts when you donate your stuff to your local Goodwill. Here's how we do it. When you donate to Goodwill, we sell your stuff to provide job training for people right here in your community. So just by teaming up with Goodwill, you help create jobs. And isn't that worth parting with the leftover guitar from your 80s cover band? Goodwill. Donate stuff, create jobs. Find your nearest donation center at goodwill.org. A message from Goodwill and the Ad Council. Keeping America's farmers and ranchers informed. AOA. Now back to Jesse Allen. And thanks for staying with us here on AOA Today, Agriculture of America, brought to you by our friends at Cenex, the Cenex Hometown Throwdown. It is a social first contest encouraging local pride by asking individuals and organizations to share what makes their hometown festival unique. Qualifying festivals have a chance to win up to $100,000 to bring the celebration to the next level. You can find more details and enter your hometown 
at CenexHometownThrowdown.com. And you can learn more about everyday products powered locally and find your nearest Cenex location as well at Cenex.com. Well, joining us now here on AOA, great to have a conversation with Jeff Cooper, President and CEO of the Renewable Fuels Association. Jeff, great to have you on the show. How are you? I'm doing great, Jesse. Thanks for having me. Well, I wanted to talk to you about a couple of different things and catch up. Uh, we had a chance to talk at the Farm Progress show here a little over a month ago, and since then, uh, wanted to get a idea of how things are looking in the ethanol industry. And one thing I did see come across my desk earlier this week, I wanted to start with uh, a letter sent to the California Air Resources Board um, looking at the use of cleaner burning lower carbon E15 gas in California and really to have uh, the state stop slow walking E15 approval. Can you get us up to speed on that to start, Jeff? Yeah, yeah, I sure can, Jesse. California is one of only two remaining states in the U.S. that does not allow the sale of E15. Uh, Montana is the other one, uh, but obviously California is the single largest uh, liquid fuel market in the country. We, it's the single largest market for ethanol. We sell about a billion and a half gallons of ethanol in the state of California every year, but we're limited to E10. We're sort of capped at, at 10% ethanol in California, even though the rest of the country for more than a decade has allowed the use of, of E15. So we have been working with the Air Resources Board for the last five years to do all the necessary testing and jump through all of the regulatory and bureaucratic hoops that they require to get E15 approved. And, and we, we've done all that. We've done everything they've asked us to. Uh, and so for the last several months, there's been this package just sitting on a desk at CARB waiting for approval. And for whatever reason, uh, the agency has been very slow uh, to pick that up and move ahead with, with approval. And, and we've seen no indication that they have much interest in doing that. So yeah, our, our frustration is starting to boil over with CARB and that's what led to the letter this week. We're trying to get them unstuck and get this process going. So consumers in that state can enjoy the benefits of lower carbon, lower cost, E15. Well, and staying on the E15 topic as well here, Jeff, I know we're exiting the summer driving season, of course, moving into fall and uh, still a lot of talk about getting year-round E15 sales. So what What's the latest about making that happen here across the country? Yeah, that's, that's the other thing we're working on uh, diligently on E15 is working to put in place a solution before next summer to ensure that retailers can continue offering E15 year-round uh, to consumers. Uh, we're seeing strong demand for E15 where it's being offered. Uh, but if you're a retailer and you can't sell that fuel for three and a half months out of every year, uh, you know, it's, it's going to be a challenge. And that's one reason we're seeing some retailers still standing, standing on the sidelines and choosing not to offer E15. So we're working with Congress. In fact, had a round of meetings in D.C. this week. Uh, to try and get legislation across the goal line before the end of the year that would permanently resolve this issue and it would permanently allow year-round E15 nationwide uh, from here forward. So we're working hard to get that attached to something that must pass before the end of the year. Uh, and believe it or not, it has the support of the oil industry uh, because they, like us, are tired of dealing with the uncertainty and the you know instability in the marketplace that is caused by uh, this, this barrier uh, to selling E15 every summer. 
Are, are you worried about getting some of that legislation through with all the uh, the turmoil that's going on in, in Washington, D.C. right now? And obviously a, a delayed farm bill at this point. We still got appropriations to figure out. We got we to gotta figure out who's the new Speaker of the House. I mean, are, are you worried about getting some of that legislation through by the end of the year at this point? Well, it's going to be really interesting to see where things go from here. Uh, we were actually uh, in the Capitol on Tuesday when when uh, all the drama was going down with uh, the, the speaker's office. Um, so yeah, we we, uh, we we have lots to sort out between now and the end of the year. But I think the good news is there are several pieces of legislation that have to pass, things that have to get done to keep this country actually operating. Um, and so we do think there will be opportunities, even if it is a you know. It's simply extending some of the current policy, and I know that's really what's being talked about with Farm Bill. Um, those things have to go through the legislative process, and so we do think there will be some opportunities uh, to attach our E15 language to vehicles that, that must move before the end of the year. All right. Jeff, I know as well uh, there's uh, always uh, no shortage of attacks on the ethanol industry, and I, I know recently – uh, EPA Science Advisory Board had a report out that uh, really uh, it looked at some science that I know a lot of folks in the ethanol and biofuels industry did not agree with. Could you talk about that a little bit? Yeah, EPA Science Advisory Board, which is a, a supposed to be an independent body that provides advice and guidance to the agency, uh, it took it upon themselves to write this report around corn ethanol's greenhouse gas emissions profile and, and carbon footprint. Uh, and, and rather than looking at all of the research that's been done over the last 10 years and, and taking into consideration all of the science, they chose to focus on one study, outlier study, from the University of Wisconsin that was funded by an environmental group, the National Wildlife Federation. Uh, and, and that study suggests that corn ethanol is somehow worse than gasoline when you factor in all this you know, land conversion that is supposedly happening uh, to support growth in, in corn ethanol production. Uh, so we were uh, quite frustrated and upset to see EPA's Science Advisory Board focusing so much attention on that one study that's been discredited when all of the other science that's out there conclusively shows that corn ethanol reduces carbon intensity you know, anywhere between 40 and 50 percent compared to gasoline. So. We have been encouraging EPA to ignore this garbage they're getting from their advisory board and focus on the, you know, the rest of the science, the rest of the research that's been done on this, this issue. Um, you know, and, and that's something we're going to be keeping an eye on and, and see what EPA ends up doing with that report. Well, and obviously, uh, you know, looking at some of this research and more, I know we got the RFS set for a couple of years here, but, uh, you know, we're going to have to uh, ha have some updates to future years of the renewable fuel standard and more. So, you know, uh, I guess hopefully yeah. between now and then we can maybe get some some more science to help back up ethanol and and new science and new studies. I, I, I don't know, Jeff. I know it's always a it's always kind of a battle, isn't it? Kind of back and forth uh, with dealing with certain attacks on the ethanol industry, isn't it? It certainly is, and it's been that way since the, the first RFS was, was passed in 2005. You know, we've been telling our industry and, and our membership, let's not get complacent just because we've got, you know, the RFS uh, set for the next few years. We know there are going to be continued attacks on the program. We know opponents of the program are already positioning themselves to, to take another run at the RFS in 2026 and beyond. 
Uh, so we got to stay vigilant. We do need to keep working with the Department of Energy and USDA and, and academia uh, to, to keep generating more current science and more current research and, and data uh, to make sure that policymakers do have the most current understanding of what is really happening in the industry and what's really happening on the farm today. Jeff Cooper with the Renewable Fuels Association joining us here today. And Jeff as well, you know, thinking about that new research and more, there's a, there's new innovations happening uh, throughout the uh, ethanol industry, biofuels and more. I think about uh, sustainable aviation fuel and the role that corn ethanol could play in SAF and more moving forward. There's, yep. a, there's some exciting things going on in the industry right now. There, there are some incredibly exciting things, and, and sustainable aviation fuel is, is one of those enormous potential opportunities for corn ethanol moving forward. We're talking about potentially billions of gallons of corn ethanol going into the aviation sector. That's an entirely new market that we're not playing in today. Uh, so the potential is, is really there for an exciting opportunity. But again, it all boils down to what sort of modeling is the government going to use? What sort of assumptions are they going to make about corn ethanol's carbon footprint and, and what's happening on the farm today with fertilizer and, and diesel fuel and other inputs? Um, it's all going to boil down to, to those decisions. And, and so we've been very active in working with the Department of Treasury because ultimately they're the ones that are going to determine how tax credits for sustainable aviation fuel are administered but also USDA and DOE and, and making sure they have the latest and best science and data in front of them as they're making these decisions. Very, very true. Jeff, before we run out of time and let you go, anything final you want to share with us here on the show today? Well, I, th I think that's the main thing, Jesse, is, is despite all these daily battles we're fighting, whether it's E15 or RFS, we do have an incredibly bright future in the ethanol industry, and, and I think that should excite your listeners. Um, you know, I, I think we've got a, a very bright future ahead of us. We just got to stay vigilant to make sure that uh, uh, that we're getting the word out and, and making sure people have the, the facts and the right information. Well, folks can find more information as well and reach out ethanolrfa.org. We've been talking with the president and CEO of the Renewable Fuels Association, Jeff Cooper. Jeff, it's always great to have a conversation with you, my friend. Thanks for joining us and we will talk to you again real soon. Sounds great, Jesse. Thanks for having me. And again, Jeff Cooper with the Renewable Fuels Association joining us here today on AOA. Today's program brought to you by Cenex, Maxtron Synthetic Diesel Engine Oil. Everyday products powered locally. That's Cenex. But up next, we are going to continue our harvest tour around the country. We're going to look at the eastern corn belt, southern Indiana to be exact. Stephen Heitchew with AgriGold joins us next here on AOA. What do Mick Jagger, Barbara Walters, and Star Jones all have in common? They've all suffered from something called heart valve disease. Heart valve disease affects 11 million Americans, and if left untreated, can lead to death. Unfortunately, less than one in four Americans have much knowledge of this disease that kills more than 25,000 people every year. The good news is that if heart valve disease is treated, patients can recover and live long, happy, and productive lives. But in order to treat heart valve disease, you need to know if you have it. 
If you or your loved ones are over the age of 65, have been treated with radiation to the chest, have been diagnosed with a heart murmur, or have a history of heart disease, it's time to listen to your heart. Ask your doctor today about screening for heart valve disease. A message brought to you by Heart Valve Voice US. For more information about the symptoms and treatment for valve disease, go to heartvalvevoice-us.org. 54. So, basically, it's too late to start saving for retirement, right? Not right. Starting to save, even in your 50s, can really make a difference. Well, right now, saving seems hard to wrap my head around. Plus, with the way this year's been going... <laughs> hey, listen, it's okay. You still got this. Just go to aceyourretirement.org. It's an online tool from AARP that can help you get your retirement savings on track no matter your age. It's free and only takes about three minutes. I like three minutes. Yeah. At aceyourretirement.org, you'll chat with Avo, the friendly digital retirement coach. Just answer a few questions and you'll get a personalized plan and tips to help boost your retirement savings. Tips that are easy to understand and tailored to your lifestyle. I like that too. Plus, it's sponsored by AARP, so you know they got your back. Just head to aceyourretirement.org and make your plan to start saving for retirement. Thanks. That's aceyourretirement.org. A message from AARP and the Ad Council. Every Tuesday, we'll be sitting around the table, sponsored by CHS. Join us and learn how CHS creates the vital connections that empower agriculture, helping farmers and ranchers like you succeed. We'll hear from different voices from throughout the cooperative system, sharing stories about how good things happen when people work together. Join us around the table every Tuesday or visit cooperativeownership.com to learn more. Challenge. It's not something you shy from. It's a chance to up your game. Every day brings a new challenge. But with the Enhanced Channel Seed brand on your side, you can rise to it. With our top-performing seed, innovative digital tools, and expanded agronomic support, you can turn tomorrow's challenges into your next advantage. Your Enhanced Channel Seed brand. Let's rise to the challenge. Learn more at channel.com rise. Read and follow pesticide label directions, IRM, grain marketing, and other stewardship practices. Did you know that pork is the world's most consumed meat? Pork comprises over one-third of all meat consumed. Pigs were domesticated over 9,000 years ago in 7,000 BC, and there are more than 180 species of pigs. Why pork? Well, it's not just because everybody loves bacon. Historically speaking, pork is a very easy meat to preserve via smoking, curing, or salting. Not only could it keep well before refrigeration, but it also tastes great under various preservation tactics and adaptable to a variety of flavors, spices, and dishes across different cultures and regions. There are twice as many pigs as there are people in Denmark. Did you also know that China is the world's lead pork producer? In 2020, they produced an impressive 41.13 million metric tons of the meat, which equates to almost 91 billion pounds. So the next time you dive into that plate of bacon, know that pork is the world's most consumed meat. These farm facts brought to you by the American Ag Network. Non-attorney paid spokesperson. Could your house go into foreclosure? Are you behind on your mortgage payments? Does it seem like the bank has no interest in helping you save your home and you feel like you have nowhere to turn for help? Then we have good news for you. Foreclosure Protection Services can help save your home as they specialize in foreclosure assistance. That's all they do. 
If you're behind on your mortgage payments, being threatened with foreclosure, have been denied a loan modification, or been the victim of a predatory loan, it's critical that you call Foreclosure Protection Services now at 800-926-1701. Their network of attorneys and their agents are available to speak to you now. If you're behind on your mortgage payments, Foreclosure Protection Services can help stop the foreclosure process. Call today before it's too late. New laws are in effect that may save your home. Call Foreclosure Protection Services now at 800-926-1701. 800-926-1701. That's 800-926-1701. Informing America's farmers and ranchers, AOA. Now back to Jesse Allen. And welcome back to AOA, brought to you by Cenex, Maxtron Synthetic Diesel Engine Oil, oil that runs smart. Well, joining us now here on the program as we take our virtual harvest crop tour around the country, we are going to focus in on southern Indiana right now and get an update on how those uh, yields are looking and more. Joining us, Agrigold Agronomist covering southern Indiana, Stephen Heitschew is with us. Stephen, it's great to uh, catch up with you. Thanks for joining us today. I'm glad to be with you um, on this wonderful day. It's beautiful fall weather out here, and uh, harvest is for sure right here upon us. I couldn't agree more. Beautiful fall weather. It is that time of year. You get football season going and uh, soup season and harvest season all, all kind of come together, it feels <laughs> like. you know. And uh, from what I understand, Southern Indiana, uh, we were chatting a little bit before we went on the air, and I, I've heard the anecdotal reports throughout the growing season Sounds like things are, are looking pretty good there uh, in southern Indiana as we uh, get harvest rolling along. They sure are. Early yields have been phenomenal. Um, we got started early this year in April, had very good conditions. Uh, the soil wasn't too wet. Usually we fight uh, putting the crop in in wet conditions. We did have some colder than normal temperatures up front. Uh, had a, got a lot of guys start with soybeans instead of corn, but those who went with corn first have sure been been paid off. I mean, it's uh, made an excellent crop. There's a lot of 250 bushel plus corn uh, that's coming out of the fields right now, setting new records um, where we did get timely rains, which, you know, I cover a lot of the state, the whole southern half of the state. So where we got uh, timely rains, there's been some new uh, field yields, uh, high yields on fields there, and there's going to be a, a few NCGAs ring the bell and have the highest crop that they've ever had in those competitions. So um, as far as corn corn goes, I mean, we we couldn't be any more blessed on, on early harvest. Mm -hmm. And I think that kind of goes along with a lot of what we've heard throughout the season is, you know, Indiana and the eastern corn belt, Ohio as well, Pennsylvania, et cetera. Uh, really been kind of our, our quote-unquote garden spot this year. You guys have had pretty ample weather for both corn and soybeans, like you mentioned, Stephen. Yeah, sure have. I mean, we did have the dry June, um, yeah. but we just keep reiterating to guys, a, a dry June does not mean a bad crop. We get those roots down there and get things established, and uh, this is two years in a row that we've had that dry June and had really good crops after it. So we have had a, a few weather events, uh, tornadoes mm -hmm. and things come through, and there are going to be some some low spots, um, and there are going to be a little bit drier areas. But that central part of Indiana, they got things done in a timely fashion. They were probably the driest up front and continued to get rain all year long. 
and we don't have any holes. There's no water holes. The rivers never got out. So uh, that's that's where a lot of our extra yield is coming from this year. You mentioned the corn crop looking good. How about soybeans uh, in general in southern Indiana? The same results or different uh, results there, Stephen? Well, early beans are the same result. Uh, I mean, we've had uh, a lot of uh, two O's up to mid mid group twos. And I know it's funny for Southern Indiana to be talking about that early in maturities, but uh, in that central part of the state, we've really been going earlier and earlier. And I mean, there are 88 bushel beans being cut on whole field averages. And uh, this guy was just ecstatic because this farm has never done that before. Um, but when, when I mentioned there was no wet holes, uh, the yeah. where the wet hole would have been on that farm, there was excellent beans. And that really brings your average up when you don't have those spots that go down. Now, we did have uh, some issues. We do have a little bit of SDS and some some wet spots and things. But I, I'm just afraid, though, as we go into this season, we start getting into the fuller relative maturity soybeans that we're going to see these phenomenal yields come down. Well, let's talk about harvest tips here, Stephen. And as you're thinking about things, I know a lot of folks are already going or, I mean, they're they're ready to pull the combine out of the shed and roll here at any minute now. I mean, what would you say to them as far as harvest tips, prioritizing fields, et cetera? What's on your mind there? We cannot let this corn dry in the field. Um, we've been cutting stalks. We go all the way back to the springtime when you did it, get into those May plantings. Um, they would get some heavy rains after them. We had uh, some some stalk rot show up. We had some early uh, crown rot showing up in some of those fields. Then under stress, that crown rot really starts to take off later in the year. It shuts that pathway off and the stalks start cannibalizing themselves. So this corn crop is really weak in the bottoms. You can go out and push on it and you can start to get some some stalks break over. But especially when you start cutting them open and you start seeing some styrofoam pith in there, um, it's telling you that there's a lot of cannibalization going on and a lot of these fields are, are not going to stand. So you want to be taking the time. We're supposed to get a weather event here at the end of this week. And if we do that, don't just go on that path that you have planned out to harvest. Make sure you're going around checking these fields and prioritizing the ones that have more cannibalization. So especially fields that were under stress late, be checking those and go get it. We've always seen our best yields in when we harvest it in mid-20 moisture anyway and not let it dry down in the field. So um, if you have the ability to dry it on your farm, you need to be going after this crop and getting it, getting it dried in the bin. Fantastic. Stephen, before we let you go, any other final thoughts or any other tips you would uh, want to share with folks for this harvest season? The main thing is is set those expectations where they need to be. I know things are coming out uh, and we're he hearing a lot of high yields. Uh, we did have some stressful situations in southwest Indiana, and those uh, yields are not quite as high as the rest. We're going to have a lot of variability in fields. Uh, so have that in your mind. You know, you know those fields on your farm that you always struggle with. Uh, you're going to have struggles in those. And then be prepared that as we get into later plantings, uh, and especially later plantings that are fuller season maturities, uh, we ran out of moisture at the end of this crop. So if we're still trying to fill right now and we don't get another rain, uh, we could see things go go down significantly from where we started. So don't expect this whole entire crop to be as good as everybody's made it out, you know, the whole entire year. 
Um, I do know that just in the short amount of harvest, we're starting to get into a lot of the first of May planted stuff now. And we're noticing some of that already that especially when we get into the little bit fuller season beans, uh, they're not hitting the eighties anymore, but you know, we don't always expect to hit 80 bushel beans and probably shouldn't. Yes, it's nice. And we need those bushels to pay the bills, but uh, have your expectations in mind that uh, we're not going to be such an exceptional crop all the way through harvest. Once again, Stephen Haichu, agronomist with Agrigold in Southern Indiana. We're out of time here on AOA Today, brought to you by Cenex Roadmaster XL. I'm Jesse Allen. Have a great rest of your day. Paid non-attorney spokesperson. Are you over the age of 60 and been diagnosed with lung cancer? If so, you and your family may qualify for a cash award. Our experienced attorneys are standing by to evaluate whether you have a lung cancer claim that qualifies you for a cash award. The consultation is absolutely free and there is no risk and no money out of pocket. We only receive a fee when we secure you and your family a settlement. 250,000 people are diagnosed with lung cancer every year. You're not alone in this battle. We can help make sure that you and your family are financially safe and that medical expenses are covered. Again, if you've been diagnosed with lung cancer and are over age 60, call now. Don't delay. There are deadlines for filing claims. We're standing by 24-7. Call us at 1-844-903-1744. 1-844-903-1744. That's 1-844-903-1744. Attorney Advertising. William Stephacker Jr. is the attorney responsible for this ad. Main office, Granton, Pennsylvania. May not be available in all states. You are not your diagnosis. A medical chart is not your identity. And vision loss does not define you. Your drive shows who you are. And you are not alone. Because we are driven too. To be a beacon of strength. A champion of courage. An advocate for hope. You are not alone. Because we are stronger together. We drive the research for the cures we are finding. We're fighting macular degeneration, retinitis pigmentosa, Usher syndrome, and the entire spectrum of blinding retinal diseases. We fund. We fight. We, we win. win. We, we, we are, are the, the foundation, foundation fighting, fighting blindness. blindness. Together, we are fighting blindness. Join the fight at fightingblindness.org.